Welcome back to the Swamp 24-7 Podcast. I'm Thomas Goldcamp, and I'm joined tonight by Blake Alderman. We've had a chance, Blake, to really kind of dissect and break down the Miami game. Uh, I know I was there live at the field last night, and, you know, when the emotions of the game are running high, it's maybe a little more difficult to really kind of stop and break things down. But I always like going back the day after and rewatching the game, so I've had a chance to do that now. I wanted to kind of ask you first, I guess, what were your impressions coming out of the season opener? You know, I don't ever think that, it was going to be a game where one team ran away with it, you know, whenever you have an in-state rival. Um, and I know they really did downplay them being a rival leading up just because of the fact that they just don't play all the time. But either way, these are guys you grow up with. Some of these guys you have, you know, bragging rights from this game. So, um, you know, I think that uh, I expected it to be a little bit more of a lopsided win. I didn't necessarily think it was going to be close, but it wasn't that. And I think that Florida may have shot themselves in the foot in some things with obviously having four turnovers, um, you know, you, you take away a lot of plays whenever you're not having your offense on the field and you're putting your defense there. So, you know, I think I was maybe downplaying the fact that, uh, you know, that those tempers would be, you know, fueling the game. And, you know, um, Florida did find a way to win, though, even though it was a pretty sloppy game on both sides for them. Yeah, I think sloppy is probably the right way to describe it. You know, I think you and I had talked before the game a good bit about we both felt like Florida was the better team. Um, and that, you know, Florida had more veteran leadership on both sides of the ball. I think we both kind of pinpointed that matchup of Florida's defensive line against, um, you know, a very inexperienced Miami offensive line. And you saw that. Um, I, I think, Blake, a little bit, I think the, the social media reaction or the kind of off-the-cuff reaction when you've been building up to this game for so long was maybe a little overly negative. I think when Florida fans have a chance to stop and, and sit back, they're going to realize, okay, this was a pretty good Miami team. We turned the ball over four times. We extended multiple drives with silly penalties. And yet we still came out and we won the game. I think um, I think it's a good starting point for UF. And obviously, I think Florida learned some things in a lot of spots. Um, one of the biggest I think we'll start with uh, that jumped out to me was the safety play. Um, and, you know, I basically just thought that Florida's safeties were not quite as up to speed um, as maybe I expected them to be. Yeah, you know, and obviously you lose um – one of the guys that had been talked about a lot last season, and Brad Stewart, um, that was a br- big blow before we even start the game, even before the you know the coin flip. You know, you're losing one of those guys there, and I, I think overall Florida has kind of even in the fall. You know, there was it was the safety position. I think was the battle that was really a real battle for starting position. As far as you know, there mm-hmm. wasn't really there many battles in the fall, um, and I think that overall there's a lot of work to be done there. Yeah, I think, and there's it's not just the safety spot. We'll get to some of these other spots, uh, you know, later in the show. Um, but I think the concern to me is more that it reaffirms some of the things we already thought about this team. Um, I thought safety was the one spot where really maybe there were more concerns than I thought uh, going into the season. I, I think part of the problem is you just have some guys that are pretty physically limited right now. Um, you know, Donovan Steiner is a guy that coaches love because he's really good mentally and is able to make some of the checks in the pattern match coverage that they put on their free safety. Um, but he's a guy that's not really great breaking down in space. Um, you talk about another guy that's kind of limited physically. Uh, you look at Jawan Taylor. You know, he was non-contact throughout fall camp. And I, I thought based on the way he approached tackles last night, it looked like he was favoring his shoulder. And that's something that we saw with Chauncey Gardner-Johnson when he played hurt as a sophomore. 
uh, and it was really detrimental to the defense. So I don't know if if that's if that is the case. Um, that's going to be problematic for Florida. That's going to be something that they have to figure out. Um, uh, you mentioned Sean Davis. I thought he played really well. Um, I was very impressed by his play. He very nearly had a um, a pick on the Marco Wilson fourth and thirty four pass interference play, um, and then he had he had a couple other really nice plays. He's a he's a guy that I don't mind getting down into the box and mixing it up there. Um, so I, I think Florida probably needs to play Sean Davis a little bit more. Um, but I think part of the problem with that safety position is you have a lot of guys that are limited physically. I mean, Donovan Steiner is is a guy that the coaches really like in that free safety role because they put a lot mentally on those guys to be able to read the pattern match coverage. But he's not a guy that's good breaking down in space. You know, he tends to stop his feet moving and lunge for tackles. Um, and so I think that's part of the reason you see him missing tackles in the open field a lot. Jawan Taylor, obviously, we talked about the tackling issues. Um, he's a guy that's just limited a little bit physically. He's not necessarily the caliber of athlete that you're used to seeing at UF in the back end. Um, and I don't know that those problems get solved other than through recruiting. I think Sean Davis is one of those guys that has, you know, plus athleticism that Florida can get more involved there. Uh, but then the other guy we're not mentioning is Brad Stewart. And he's got to be able to put himself in a position where he's able to get on the field again. Absolutely. You know, I think that that group, they're, they're definitely going to welcome Brad Stewart back whenever he, I don't know how long the suspension carries. I don't know if it was a first game. I don't know. But I mean, either way, they're going to really want to welcome him back soon because like you said, there, there's limits on that position. And, and as far as recruiting, I, I don't know that there's, you know, obviously they have a guy committed um, and another guy committed at Star and their, their commit is a kid out of Georgia and Rashad Torrance. But there's still not, uh, there's still a need. There's still a need to fill. And there's not a lot of guys that you can really point out on the, uh, on the offer sheet that's you know looking like a lock to Florida right now. So I think that that's a position that they've kind of flirted with some guys through the transfer portal, um, hasn't had anything shake out there. So I think that that might be a position going forward that, you know, if, as we progress and see where things go again, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself in game one, but that, that may be an option for them to look down if, you know, maybe the recruiting isn't there on that position. Yeah, and I, I do think, you know, I do think Florida may get to the point where it considers shifting guys around. Um, I thought one of the real positives out of the game last night was that Ventrell Miller looked terrific. And I, I even thought James Houston had some bright spots. You know, obviously he had the the late hit that really hurt Florida out of bounds. Um, but I thought both of those guys played very well. Um, and I kind of expected them to based on everything we've been hearing. You know, they're third-year guys and seemingly had a pretty good camp. But I think once you start to see that against quality opponents, I think the Florida coaches probably feel a lot more comfortable with Ventrell Miller than maybe we even realized. I mean, you look at the snap counts last night, I'm pretty sure he thoroughly outsnapped um, Amari Bernie. And so maybe they consider, you know, if, if, if they're not seeing what they want from Bernie and they are comfortable with, you know, Houston and Miller at linebacker, maybe you see them shift Bernie around, maybe even move him uh, back to nickel where he played last year and you can get Trey Dean to look at safety. Um, I think that's something that, you know, I don't know that they'll consider right away because I think in these, these first games, there's a lot of mistakes that you can clean up and coach off film. But if you're still seeing these kind of issues, you know, against UT Martin, against Kentucky, uh, I would not be surprised if they they start to tinker with some of those moves. Thomas, from kind of searching through social media for most of the day and just kind of reading the timeline, from a fan perspective, there's been quite a bit of flack from Felipe Franks and his performance. I know a lot of the offseason we talked about the growth there, and there's been people saying, you know, little things about him, you know, talking to the camera on the sidelines yeah. and, you know, things like that. I guess, is that something you're concerned on, or is that just... It just seems like that's going to be him. Yeah, I kind of wrote about that last night. Um, I, I think I think you nailed it. I mean, that's kind of just who Felipe Franks is at this point. And he, he's riding with that for better or worse. And so 
I think Florida fans probably need to understand that that's just what you're going to get. Um, and it's going to rub some people the wrong way. It absolutely will when he's looking into the camera or, you know, punting balls into the stands and, and talking to talking to fans during the game. Um, I didn't really have a problem with the broadcast crew saying they didn't like that. You know, it's that style's not for everyone. But that's the same Felipe Franks that you got at the end of last year, and it seemed to motivate him. Um, the, the thing to me is this. Like, I think part of the angst there comes from having seen Felipe Franks perform so poorly in the past. Um, once people kind of turn the page on a quarterback in their mind, it's very easy to go back there, even if the guy's gotten better. Um, I think a lot of Florida fans would consider the kind of game Felipe Franks had last night to be a, a bad game. I don't think is that an is that an unfair char- characterization to say that it's a bad game. I don't think it's an unfair game. You know, I think that whenever you have two turnovers, and that's always been kind of the uh, you know thing that people have really keyed on with him, just the lack of you know finding a way to throw it to the other team. I think that that's something. But you know, overall. I think he'd also made some plays too, and he did. He he also kept Florida in the game as well. But you know, I I think that it's definitely something he needs to work on. Well, that but that okay, so this is my point, I guess, is if that was a bad game for Felipe Franks, and you look down at the numbers, and he's got 254 yards passing, two touchdowns, you know, scored another touchdown with his legs. Uh, that's a lot better of a bad game from Felipe sure. Franks than you were getting in 2017 and 2018. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, fans can say that they, they haven't seen all this growth that Dan Mullen talked about. I think in a lot of ways it's right there in the numbers. And the more I kind of sat down and went through the game, um, there are definitely throws that Felipe Franks absolutely screwed up. Um, you know, he threw the, the, the very first pass of the game on the corner out to Van Jefferson in a one-on-one matchup out of bounds. You can't do that. Um, he, I think, I think the biggest thing that stood out to me from rewatching the game was he tended to leave perfectly clean pockets. Uh, and a lot of times he did it running to his left. And so his mechanics were very bad throwing on the run. That's something that has to get cleaned up. That's something I think Dan Mullen will coach him on. Um, but I also saw a lot of throws where you could tell that Felipe Franks was trying to put it in the safe spot. You know, Dan Mullen has talked a lot this offseason about his ball placement and learning where to place the ball so that only your guy can catch it. And I saw a lot of that last night. I actually think the, the, um, the interception that he threw to Freddie Swain uh, if you look at it on film, Swain's going in, into a post that's going to take him into the Miami safety. And I think Franks threw it to his his back shoulder, trying to basically not run Swain right into that safety. Now, it obviously didn't end up working. Swain couldn't get a handle on it, and it ended up tipped in an interception. But I think throws like that, are the, I, I think that is growth, believe it or not. Now, it's not going to always look pretty, and there's going to be the mistakes. Um, but I'm not ready to throw Franks out and, and just say, okay, this is Emory Jones' team now because of one so-so outing against a good opponent that you, um, you know, you, you're playing for the first time. You're seeing some new wrinkles. So I, I'm not as concerned with Franks' game. I, I think I think the angst is probably a little overblown there. And I, I keep going back to this. Dan Mullen is not going to hand it over to Emory Jones unless Felipe Franks absolutely tanks. It's just not going to happen. So I don't know that there's a whole lot of positive um, coming from kind of the wave of negativity. And I have never been that guy to discourage fans from speaking their opinion or anything like that. Um, but I thought some of it was a little over the top last night on social media. I know we've talked about you, Luke, and I have talked. I want to say it was sometime during fall camp. There was a piece that was written of, you know, who's Florida's sleeper guy, who's, who's maybe the underappreciated guy, and the pick was Josh Hammond. Are you more surprised to see – the lack of completions to Trevon Grimes, Van Jefferson only getting one ball apiece, and Josh Hammond there was was probably 
you know, had the most successful night as far as the wide receivers. I guess, were you more surprised with the lack of those other guys? Or uh, I guess, was that surprising to you to see them not, not so involved? No, not really. I think I think that's how Dan Mullen's offenses are going to operate. You know, it's going to be taking kind of the guy that's open in the route progression. Um, there were definitely some looks where they had uh, where they could have got those guys involved a little bit. But again, I think Florida only ran 54 plays. Um, so it's not like there was a ton of offensive touches to begin with. I, I think you're going to have games like that where you may have the one random, you know, Trayvon Grimes, 135 yard game or whatever against FSU. But then you'll have games where he only has one catch. Um, that's that's the nature of having so many guys that can do it, I think, at Florida. I think another thing that a lot of people have asked is uh, the ten- tendency for Kadarius Toney to be really involved in a game and then kind of be slacked off of there. You know, obviously, he comes through. You know, One of the things we talked about whenever he was you know, kind of crowned with that number one jersey was that he was going to be the one who steps up. And he obviously made a really good play with his one touch, uh, the 66-yard touchdown where he broke a lot of tackles. I, I guess is that something – I mean, it's obviously something you're going to need to incorporate back in the offense. But I guess is there a way that you feel like he, they can do that? Um, I don't know. I, I, think, I think the coaching staff still kind of doesn't fully trust him to be an every down player. Um, I think he played 14 snaps last night. He got the ball on four of those. Um, I, he had one really nice block on a, a, a Kyle Pitts play down, down near the red zone uh, where he took out two defenders. I think if he can do that kind of stuff more regularly, um, then coaches, then Florida's coaches will feel comfortable putting him in more. And once he's in there for more snaps, I think you can get him the ball more. The problem is if he's only getting the ball when he's, you know, on the field, it's a lot easier to key on defensively. Um, and I think, I think, you, you just listen to Mullen's comments after the game. You know, he, he talks about how explosive Tony is, and it's always, you know, well, he's explosive in a lot of ways. We don't ever know if he's going to, you know, lose six yards or have an interesting kick return. Um, and I, I just sense that they're not fully confident necessarily in him being an every-down guy. Over the course of fall camp, you have been very high on the Florida defensive linemen. Um, I know there's some new faces in there, but it was obviously really the game was the coming-out party for John Greenard. Um, Florida's buck linebacker edge guy um, he had a really really good game you know he seemed obviously when you're going against a freshman offensive tackle it's easy to have those games but he definitely showed that uh, you know what people had expected from him when he was transferring in coming in and having the ties to Todd Grantham's defensive scheme and he, he really seemed to be very dominant I, I don't think that really should come as a surprise to anybody no, no, he was really good. And I think the, the biggest thing is I think he's going to be able to be a coach on the field for that UF defense. You know, he's a guy that that clearly gets it within the system. Um, I don't know how much to read into the 10 sacks. You know, I we obviously thought Florida's um, defensive front was going to be a strength this year, um, or at least at least on the edges. I still don't know necessarily about the interior. Um, but we had pegged that matchup as probably the key one that, you know, Florida was going to come after those those freshman tackles. And um I think the fact that they were able to have so much success is a real positive. I think that that probably shores up in your mind that those guys are pretty good. Now they still got to go out there and do it against, you know, the Auburns, the LSUs and the Georgias of the world. Um, but I think if you're Florida, you, you're pretty comfortable with what you've got, you know, in the front seven. And I think especially those linebackers I pointed out, I think played a lot better than maybe I even expected. Um, the, the real question for Florida on defense, I think, is, is like we talked about, just shoring up that safety play. Um, however they can, or you really put the onus on those guys up front to have to produce, you know, every single play in terms of getting after the quarterback. But uh, Blake, let's, let's shift over. The, the other big question I think everybody had last night was about the O-line. Um, were you surprised by what you saw at all? Or I guess give, give me your, your, your takeaway from watching the game uh, live last night. 
You know, I, I don't know that I was surprised. It was kind of what I expected. You know, I, I think that Miami's defensive front is very good. Um, but at the same time, Florida's offensive line has been unproven. You know, I think there were some good and there were some bad. Um, I, I think the really the thing that they really are going to have to focus on is probably getting better in the run block because whenever you have a not only one running back, but you have a, a senior running back and other guys that can do different things with the ball. I think that they're going to really need to get some push there because Florida's going to face some tough defensive lines this season. So, I mean, this isn't just going to be the only tough outing that they're going to have to go against. So I think it's a, a unit that we can't say they won't gel. We don't really know that yet. But I think for the most part, I think there was a good starting ground, and I think it was kind of what we expected to see. Yeah, I'll be honest. I was a little surprised. Um, based on all the reports we had gotten out of fall camp, they were um, really struggling with pass blocking. And I thought they were terrific pass blocking right. for the most part last night. Um, I think when I went back and watched it, um, I actually, re-watching, I thought they were better than, than I thought on the first look in terms of that pass blocking. And I think part of that was, I think, like I said, Felipe Franks, I thought, really bailed on some clean pockets early a lot of times. And that made it look more scuffed than it was. Um I thought those guys did really, really well for a first time out pass blocking against a pretty good Miami front. Now, Miami didn't get all that exotic with it. I think their game plan was to, um, you know, kind of load the box, um, not necessarily pressure Franks, um, but but basically make sure that Florida couldn't run the ball. Um, and they did a really good job of that. Um, I think the more concerning thing is that I didn't see a whole lot of what I expected to see in terms of Florida's interior offensive line uh being the better part of that unit. You know, Brett Heggie, I thought, um, had some moments in there where he was pretty good. Um, but Chris Bleich was a little disappointing for me. Um, you know, Nick Buchanan was up and down. He had some really, really good plays and and some not as good ones. Um, Jean Delance, a little bit up and down. I thought, I thought Stone Forsyth was really pretty good, um, other than maybe the one holding penalty he had. Um, but I think that It'll be interesting to see if that line gets better in terms of the run blocking. I felt I felt like the guards were slow pulling around, um, and the way Florida operates its offense, that's going to be a problem if Florida can't get that cleaned up against some better teams. I know you said whenever you you rewatched the game the second time that the offensive line was something that maybe changed in your opinion from watch one to watch two. Was there any other spots on the team that was kind of the same effect? Um, probably not. Um. I think I think I felt a little bit better about Felipe Franks' performance after rewatching the game um, because I think a lot of those throws, you could kind of see what he was probably seeing. Um, whereas sometimes when you're watching live in the game, you don't necessarily see that. Um, I, I think that he really has focused on trying uh, on trying to put the ball in the right spot. Uh, so that's that's maybe the one guy. Um, but Blake, why don't we take a, a quick commercial break, and then I think what we can do is I'll, I'll come back and I'll break down kind of uh, who I thought stood out the most and and who I think needs needs some work uh, coming out after the break. Okay, picture this: it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 
Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. All right, welcome back to the Swamp 24-7 podcast. I'm Thomas Goldcamp. Blake Alderman is here with me. We're just wrapping up our, our breakdown of the Miami game after kind of watching it live last night and then going through it again. Blake, I guess, uh, first off, we'll get to some of my thoughts on on individual players that stood out, but who for you kind of grabbed your eye right off the bat? You know, I think uh, on the defensive side, we mentioned Ventrell Miller earlier. I think he was a guy that, you know, wasn't necessarily talked about in his as far as, you know, Amari, Amari Bernie seemed to be the guy to really talked about a lot in fall camp. And I thought that was a surprise to see him um, really get involved and really make his presence felt in the game. Um, another guy that I also was really surprised to was Jeremiah Moon, just in the simple fact that for the most part in his UF career, he's just been banged up. We haven't really um, gotten a, a really good read on him. You know, he's obviously really physically gifted. He's put together well. Um, and I, I know he can do a lot of things for as far as versatility into their defense. But I, I think it was good now to kind of confirm that, you know, the talk that he's been hyped up a lot in the off seasons when he's, you know, whenever he's able. And I think he finally got to show that. And I think that that was something that was probably the most surprising um, performance. And I guess one that was maybe a bad in terms of surprise was, I don't know, I, I was really surprised to see CJ Henderson and Marco Wilson also struggle in the game in the little parts they did. I'm not going to sit there and say that they had awful games. They were terrible yeah. um, because, you know, there, there's going to be bad plays. But I guess more so the, the, the tackling was struggling there. You know, Marco has always been an able tackler, willing. Um, and C.J. Henderson has worked a lot from, you know, his start in Florida career to now and obviously adding weight and being more physical in that game. So I guess that was more of a maybe a negative surprise for me was those two. But obviously, you know, those two guys on the defense was a good surprise there. So, you know, there's obviously little things to work on. But, um, you know, I think that that's a good starting point for those guys. Yeah, I, I mean, you could tell that Marco Wilson was a little rusty, I think. You know, the, the pass interference in particular was one that you don't see out of him when he's, you know, in midseason form. Right. Uh, I think some of that's to be expected. Um, I, I'm not super concerned about that. I actually thought Henderson played pretty well. Um, I know Pro Football Focus had, had a somewhat low grade on him. I don't necessarily agree with that. Uh, the one the one play I had issue with him was where he went for a strip instead of wrapping up, and that, that ended up leading to a, one of those big runs down the right sideline. Um but I'll start kind of on the offensive side of the ball, some things that jumped out to me. Um, I thought in a couple a couple different plays, there were some really good blocks. Um, Michael Pirine had one uh, on, an, I believe it was a, a drag for Josh Hammond that was able to pick up a key first down where he took out two defenders. Kadarius Tony had another one that we talked about earlier um, where he took out two defenders to, to allow Kyle Pitts to get inside the five. Those are the kind of plays that earn you more snaps, and so those those were two real positives in my mind. Um, one thing that really I think stuck out as a negative was Florida's tight ends really really struggled blocking last night. Um, 
that that's something that we kind of knew was an issue based on how they were all talking about focusing on fixing their blocking. Um, but that's going to be a problem for Florida if it continues because Florida uses those tight ends so much to help create creases in the run game on some of that outside zone. Um, and you could see last night, for the most part, it just wasn't there. I think the one run play that really hit uh, where you had a tight end really pick up a block well was um, like maybe a 10, 11-yard gain for Pirine, uh, where he went off left tackle and Stone Forsyth, Trayvon Grimes, and Kamori Gamble all picked up their blocks perfectly. That was the cleanest play I saw all night. So I, I would like to see Kamori Gamble start to get a little bit more snaps at tight end. Um, you know, I, I don't like pointing out negatives too much, but Lucas Kroll, I thought, really, really struggled with blocking last night. Um, and then for, for all the good he did when the ball was in his hands and some of the, you know, some of the catches he had, um, Kyle Pitts struggled when they were blocking in the box uh, on the run game. And I think that's an area where Florida's going to need those guys, particularly, you know, if the O-line is struggling a little bit to open up some space. Um, I don't know. Did you, did you get that impression on the tight ends at all or? Yeah, absolutely. I thought that that uh, was really in the, in the run game overall, just up front overall, it seemed like Florida struggled to really get that push there. And it it kind of made a lot of sense um, just from looking at things from a recruiting side with Florida recruiting and having the commitment from three-star Jonathan Odom out of Tampa, a six, five big inline you know, bruising blocker type tight end. So it, it made sense to me to where, you know, I understand why they coveted him so much and why they made such a point to add him in there because he does bring different dynamics because he has that that appeal to to kind of bring into the blocking game. I know Lucas Kroll obviously has the size too, but, you know, he's a guy that's, you know, still people need to remember he's playing baseball, you know, not right. too long ago. So he's still yeah. really working on a lot of things. So I, I think whenever I was really watching that, and seeing them struggle in the run game, it made a little bit more sense why Jonathan Odom was such a high priority for them. Yeah, it'll be interesting because I, I don't know I don't know how much you can fix something like blocking midseason. You know what I mean? It's um, sure. that's kind of a I, you either almost have it or you don't. Um, you, know, you can coach the technique all day, um, and like you said, I think most of the guys have the size to do it, um, but it's not a supernatural thing. Um, for the most part, I've seen over the years, guys guys are either pretty good blockers or they're not. Um, so I, I don't know if that's going to affect Florida's play calling or how they design the run game. Um, but that would be, uh, I think that is a big part of the run game that maybe won't get talked about as much as those tight ends blocking. And I think that needs to get shorn up a little bit, I guess, uh, kind of transitioning to the defensive side of the ball and some of my takeaways. Um, I, I, like I said, I don't know how much to put into the pass rush and, and whether just how strong Florida's front seven will be. I thought the interior guys played pretty well. Um, I thought Kyrie Campbell and Adam Schuler really, really held their own, uh, which was positive because they did that a lot last year. Um, but I thought they did it much more consistently last night. And I think, I think Florida is going to have an upgrade at linebacker this year uh, overall. You know, David Reese is back, and he's so he's so good tracking plays. Um, maybe he's not the best athlete, but when you start to add guys like Ventrell Miller in there, there was only one time I saw last night in the run game where he maybe overcommitted. Uh, you know, to his run assignment and and ran himself out of his gap. And we saw that all the time last year from Voshan Joseph. Um, so I, I think Florida's front seven could be really, really stout this year. Um, if you're looking for positives on the defense, you know, on, on an otherwise sloppy night with the tackling and all that, uh, I think the front seven's really good. I was a little surprised. Uh, you talked about Jeremiah Moon. I thought he was very good. Um, and I haven't necessarily always been particularly high on him. I thought he played a lot more physically last night, which is kind of the area of his game that needed to improve. But I was surprised that Florida didn't rotate its bucks a little bit more. 
Um, you know, Chris Bogle got on the field for a snap or two, but I'm not even sure that he was still out there um, for an actual play. Um, but I really thought we'd see more guys out there in terms of the Andrew Chatfields, the the Bogles, the Diabates. Um, maybe that's a first game thing against Miami, but that that I would say surprised me a little bit. Yeah, but then whenever you have a veteran group like that and obviously a big game like Miami, you know, if this was last year and it's Charleston Southern, obviously they would have had more snaps in there. So, you know, I don't know if you can particularly um, kind of key on that super heavily because right. I think, you know, whenever they have their their home opener, I think you'll see a lot of the younger guys probably get in the game more and whatnot. But, you know, I think also, too, whenever you have a defensive line in, a, in their front that was having so much success, I think you just kind of roll with the hot hand. No, absolutely. You're you're dead on on that. I mean, if unless unless John Greenard's you know asking sure. for a blow, I mean, why pull that guy out of the game? Uh, same with Jabari Zaniga. You know, those guys. Uh, obviously, Florida's coaches played it right. Um, so it, it'll be interesting to see how much those other guys get involved going forward. Um, you know, and then we talked about the secondary. I think eventually, um, unless the safeties really step up their play, I think you got to start to consider some moves back there. Um, and I'm not sure any of the I'm not sure any of the freshmen have even worked at safety yet. Uh, so I think it would be a move like, you know, shifting Amari Bernie around or trading around. Um, but Blake, I don't know. Is there is there anything else you have from the game that you wanted to touch on? No, I think that's pretty much it, man. I, you know, I think there's a lot of things to work on for Florida, obviously, but I don't know that it was quite, you know, the time to panic. You know, obviously, I think a lot of fans just expected Florida to come in and drop 40 points and, you know, this be this big game. And I, I don't necessarily it was obviously closer than i thought it would be but i don't expect it to be you know this big high scoring game and and like like we said I, I just don't see many of the mistakes that were made as as being unfixable things um you know we knew that the offensive line was probably not going to come in and be dominant right away i'm not sure that they have a ceiling that's quite as high as last year's unit but you saw what happened even with last year's team you know they weren't comfortable comfortable until midseason um these guys were for all intents and purposes working together for the first time out there against a quality opponent. So I, I think it's worth keeping that in mind. Um, like you said, there's there's so much that Florida can fix um, that when you look at it, uh, if they fix a couple of those things in that game alone, this could have been a, a runaway game. I mean, if you don't fumble a pitch, you know, when you're, you're going in or, or, or botch a mesh point when you're going into the red zone, I mean, that game could have been very different. Um, so I think at the end of the day, the fact that Florida got the win and has a ton of teachable moments to, to, work, to work with I think is a, is a very, very big positive for the program. Um, and I think, moreover, you know, Florida's got an extra week to work with here. Sure. I think that's the thing, too. Obviously, the bye week, you can kind of go in and look at things and, um, you know, gives you just that extra week of preparation. And I know that those guys are probably going to be working on some tackling. Yeah, I would say I would say they'll be doing quite a bit of that. Well, uh, Blake, I know it's, it's the bye week, so we're, we're planning to have two podcasts a week. Um, I would think at this point we will probably be back sometime later in the week uh, after we have a chance to sit down with Dan Mullen and both coordinators, kind of get their feel for how, how they broke down the Miami game because, you know, we can do it, but we're obviously not professionals. Um, and so once we have their comments, I think we'll do another show later this week, kind of fully recapping Miami uh, since the next week is a, is a bye week for Florida. And then, you know, we get, to, uh, we get to all watch week one of college football together. Should be pretty fun. Looking forward to it. I am going to have like 20, all my TVs on at one time. <laughs> I love a bye week. I love away games because I can watch all the games at one time um, just because you don't have to spend your day at the stadium. Fire up the grill, man. Fire up the grill. 
All right, guys. Well, that's it for this week's or this this uh, weekend's episode, I should say, because we'll be back later in the week. But if you guys like the podcast, be sure to drop us a like, uh, download it wherever you listen to, spread it to your friends, and we really appreciate all the love. Thanks, guys.